This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson. Welcome everybody to the 20th episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. The best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me as always, Brian Com. Hi, everybody. Brian, what, what about your catchphrase? Less speculation, more prognostication. Nice. You know, normally you don't have to be prompted for your catchphrase. It's your thing. You'll work on this. You're new to podcasting. I'll work on it. We are very excited about today's show. We actually have NHL hockey to talk about, a huge trade. So let's get right into it. Blockbuster trade. Miller is finally off of Buffalo. It's been years. I'm sure any Ryan Miller keeper owners have been waiting for this for like two years now. And finally, they probably had a little party. Everyone's celebrating. Ryan Miller goes to St. Louis with Ott for Halak and Stewart. We are here to analyze that trade. So, Brian, just tell us, what's your initial thoughts here? Well, from a fantasy perspective clear winner is Ryan Miller. If you held on to him this long and you managed to stay in contention in your league, you're really happy to have him on your team. Yaroslav Halak, if you were really counting on him, which you shouldn't have been because he was sort of being platooned with Brian Elliott and was always sort of being threatened either by Elliott or by someone outside coming in. Although this time Halak is actually getting shipped out to Buffalo and word has it. Not that I have any inside information, but a lot of the chat is that Halak is on his way to somewhere else. So it's hard to really say what's going to happen with him. But of course, if he's in Buffalo, I don't know. There's not going to be a whole lot going on for him there. Right, yeah. And as far as Miller goes, where does this now put Miller? And he hasn't even played one game for St. Louis, but we can speculate, or we should try to prognosticate. Where does this put him in terms of the rankings of most valuable fantasy goalies? Well, I think what Miller gave a lot of his owners before was safe percentage but no wins and a weak goals against average. But now he's got a stronger defense in front of him. So as long as he can keep playing to his own personal ability that he displayed in Buffalo, now he has the actual support to succeed in the other categories too. I think it puts him right back up in the top five where he would be if Buffalo had been a competitive team all along. Okay, I want to throw a couple names at you and you tell me if you would rather have them or Miller, okay? Yeah. Antony Emmy. I'm already stumped. Oh, man. First one. Well, I guess I'm a little thrown off because the Blues have been shut out two games in a row since the Olympic break, so Miller can make all the saves he wants, but nothing's going to happen if his team doesn't score. On the other hand, that's not going to continue 
And Niemi, I don't know, he's been having a bit of a rough ride lately. I think in a one-year league, I would take Miller. Well, that puts him high up there then. All right, how about Jonas Hiller? For that one, I wouldn't hesitate to take Ryan Miller. I know Jonas Hiller is having an incredible year, and he's sort of had a bit of a renaissance and has fended off all the backup competition that he's been facing earlier this year and the year before this. But all that together isn't enough. I'm really, I think maybe I'm just excited for Ryan Miller to be on St. Louis. I think St. Louis needed this goalie. I don't know if he'll be the difference between a Stanley Cup or not, because they do play a really tight defensive system anyway, and Halak did a pretty decent job while he was there. But I would still take Miller. And I guess it's also worth mentioning the other goalie whose value is really affected by this. Well, there's two right? Brian Elliott is now definitely the backup. There's no hint of him challenging for the number one spot, at least in the near future. And then on the Buffalo side, Jonas Enroth is definitely the guy there now. I think even if Halak stays, the Sabres mentioned Enroth's name several times in the aftermath of the trade in various press clippings. And it seems clear that that he's the one they're going to go with. And actually, Elon, I'm going to throw out even one more name out there. For those in deep keeper leagues, Jake Allen It's his time now, right? Miller's going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. Without knowing whether or not he'll be re-signed, you have to think that he will hop to number two and even potentially number one on the depth chart, depending on what happens in St. Louis's offseason. Oh yeah, that's interesting. I didn't consider that. More on Allen you may or may not remember, but he's the one the Blues decided to go with. They had to decide between Jake Allen and Ben Bishop. They ended up shipping Ben Bishop out to Ottawa. And of course, he's on Tampa and doing really well now. And we can't really say that indicates a whole lot about Jake Allen's performance, but maybe it is worth speculating that if he was worth more than Bishop to the Blues back then, maybe they saw something in him. And I guess at least it's a small sign that he could be a legitimate NHL starter in the not too distant future. Yeah, very interesting. Okay. And what about the skaters who were traded? So Ott and Stewart, how are their values affected? I don't think their values are affected any more than they would have been originally. I think Steve Ott will probably be a role player for the Blues. I don't think he ever thrived in a scoring role. He did have a couple, you know, decent offensive years back with Dallas. And I think in Buffalo, he was being asked to do too much. So maybe he'll be in a more comfortable space where at least he'll be scoring on a like a semi-consistent basis in accordance to the role that he's playing, maybe more of a checking line role. Whereas in Buffalo, they were trying to make him, you know, one of their top line guys. And he was sort of getting torched by the opposition's best players and also their best shutdown guys. I saw on Rotowire that they were reporting that Ott will slot in on the second line with Derek Roy and TJ Oshie. And this, I guess, will happen today, Sunday, when they play the Coyotes for the first time. So we'll know more after this game. But if he goes on that line, is that a chance to get some points? Oshie obviously is a good offensive player. Of course it is. He's with two good players. And again, it's it's hard to say what his role will be until we see him play a few games with the team. I think if anything, it is a small boost to his value, but I also wouldn't count on it. I think the biggest idea to take away from it is that with Buffalo, he was usually seeing the opposition's top defensive units because he was playing top line minutes. But on St. Louis, I mean, he's sort of going to be in the background. Teams will be focusing on their other goal scoring threats, and that might give him a little more room to make something happen. It's hard to say, like I said, until we've seen what he does. Mm -hmm. Definitely someone to add to the watch list. And then Chris Stewart, I imagine if anyone had him, he wasn't even doing that great. Now you could only expect him to go down. Yeah, and there's a lot of rumors that he's going to be flipped to Ottawa next. And as a Sens fan, that really concerns me. And as a fantasy owner, this is not somebody 
you want on your team either. Because if you look at his last 15 games, this is his stat line. No goals, two assists, four block shots, minus nine, 35 penalty minutes, and really just one or two shots on goal in each of those games. His possession numbers are bad, especially relative to his own teammates in St. Louis. And not only that, I saw a chart recently that shows his teammates' possession numbers with and without Chris Stewart. All but one of them had better possession numbers without Chris Stewart than with him. He's sort of like a a possession anchor. And really, I think this is one of the boons of underlying numbers in these fancy statistics is we can see that this guy's a drain. He's not producing anything. In fact, he's taking away and all that. He was seeing sheltered minutes. He's been streaky at best all year. I don't know. I don't have a lot of faith in him. If he's on your team, I don't know if you can still trade him. It might be worth your while. And if you're verging on dropping him, then I would suggest dropping him if there's even like a half-decent option still available in free agency. Speaking of which, we'll talk about some of these potential options in free agency later in the episode. But let's move on to our second headline. Roberto Luongo has not played a game since the Olympic break. So there's been two games so far. Lack started both of them. It's already been announced that Lack is going to be starting on Sunday against Ottawa in the outdoor games. That's going to be three in a row. I assumed at first that Luongo was just getting a rest, but now at this point, is Vancouver potentially looking towards Eddie Lack to maybe challenge for the number one spot? And I should mention, in Lack's two starts since the Olympics, he played against St. Louis, got a shutout win, then played against Minnesota, lost, but had a 957 save percentage. And stopped like seven shots in the shootout too. And I don't know, I think it's unfortunate that anything, you know, goaltending with Vancouver and Roberto Luongo turns into this huge, widely blown up thing. Roberto Luongo is still great. He's at least league average when he's not better than that and is still a legitimate starting goalie. I don't know. I I can't speculate on whether like maybe Vancouver is feeling like they sort of messed up the whole Corey Schneider situation and don't want to alienate their next like up and coming goaltender. But there's more to it than just speculation. I mean, his numbers are flat out better than Luongo's. Sure, he's played fewer games. He's played about half as many games. But in that time, he has a a pretty similar winning percentage, a much lower goals against average, just barely uh, two goals a game, whereas Luongo's given up about 2.4 each game. And has stopped about uh, almost a full percentage point more of the shots that he's faced. Equal amounts of shutouts. At this point, if they're named goalie A and goalie B, you're going to go with goalie B based on these numbers. That's Eddie Lack. So maybe that's what's happening in Vancouver with the refresh from the Olympics. Maybe the coaching has looked at things again, totally objectively, seen that Eddie Lack has given them the better chance to win so far and has gone with him. It's definitely something pleasant for owners of Eddie Lack. And if you only have Luongo on your team and Lack is available, you might want to start going for the handcuff option if it's still available. Yeah, one thing to mention, Roberto Luongo, in his last five starts, has zero wins. He's lost all five and never had a save percentage better than .906. In fact, all of them except for that one 906 game were below 900. So he's been slumping big. But yeah, but remember that a win is not at all like any indication of a goalie's ability. If you look at those five games, the Canucks scored one goal two times and scored two goals the other three times. They never scored more than twice. Then again, Luongo did give up three, four, and five goals in those games. But still, if he had gotten a little more goal support, he might have gotten a win. But your point about the save percentage is definitely well taken. He's been under 900 in five of his last six starts. 
Yeah, so definitely an interesting thing to watch. I feel bad for Luongo. He just uh, can't hold on to that number one job. I remember just it was just a few years ago when he was the talk of the league. Yeah, it was the talk of the league for like 10 years, like back when he was with Florida, you know, best goalie in the world, best Canadian goalie, maybe, you know, going to challenge the all-time greats. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> Good luck to you, Luongo owners. And like Brian said, definitely grab Eddie Lack if you can and you have a space because he might just be challenging for that number one spot. If he keeps this up, I don't see why they would go back to Luongo anytime in the near future. That's our headline segment. Now let's shift over to talking about our teams. We haven't been able to do it for a little while because of the break. And of course, like always, we'll talk about our teams, but in a context where everyone can benefit from learning about the players that we're going to discuss. So Brian, tell us, how are the Flamingos doing since the Olympic break? Well, I'm going to tell you, Elon, but actually, I think we should just close the book on our Olympic pool because the results are now official. Claker MacArthur should be on Team Canada, did win the pool by uh, a small margin, not as big as they were leading all the way through. Silver medal goes to IKEA Meatballs and bronze medal goes to yours truly, the Flamingos. You finished fourth, a fair margin behind me. Congratulations to all you guys. And I'm sorry I couldn't stand at the podium with you. Yeah, so thanks everyone for joining, and uh, we'll we'll see you again in four years. <laughs> but yeah, excited to talk about my own pool again. Things are going well, I guess that's why I'm excited. I'm tied for first right now, and after this week, it looks like I might be all alone. I am destroying my opponent this week, and it feels really good because you know who I'm playing, Elon? Tell me. I am playing the guy who would not respond to my trade requests for Ben Bishop. Ah. So I'm showing him now. <laughs> well, good for you. So what players are doing well for you? Well, David DeHarnay continues to roll. He's got three assists, two of them on the power play. James Van Riemsdyk, he had two goals against Montreal the other night. He had three assists to that with five shots on goal and a plus two rating. John Carlson has had a strong return from the Olympic break. He was really struggling for a while. He has three assists, two on the power play, plus two rating, four shots on goal, and two blocked shots. An interesting note on John Carlson have you noticed he's pretty much taken over the defense duties on the Washington Capitals power play? Like in their last game, for example, he played five minutes and 25 seconds. Mike Green, who used to own that job, only played 244. So it's definitely Carlson's power play team at this point. So I think you're lucky to have him going into your playoffs. Thank goodness. We've been through a lot together and I've been really close to dropping him a few times. But after what happened with Roman Yosi, I'm not really eager to take that risk. So I'm glad he's rewarded me. And the last player I'd like to mention, P.A. Parento, who has had some trouble fitting in on his team lately, being healthy scratch. He has two goals on six shots this week. One of them was on the power play. He's now on a three-game point streak for the fourth time this season, which doesn't seem that remarkable until you realize that the last time was mid-November. So this is a good sign for him rolling. And Darcy Kemper is carrying me in net. He's 10-2-2. Two in his last 14 starts for the Wild, he started 14 straight games. And this week, he's got a goals against average of 0.48 with a shutout and a 981 save percentage. He stopped 51 of 52 shots. That's amazing. As long as Minnesota doesn't trade for a goalie at the deadline, Kemper's probably going to be a really solid goalie to have for the rest of the season. But of course, if they trade for Halak or someone like that, then all of a sudden you have to scramble a little bit. Yeah, between a possible trade and Josh Harding maybe becoming healthy one of these days again, and Nicholas Backstrom also maybe becoming healthy one of these days again, I don't feel totally safe 
you know, that I can rely on him for a whole lot longer with this sort of thing, but I'm happy while it lasts. And before I wrap up, let me just tell you one player who's really stood out for my opponent this week, Justin Williams. He's been struggling a lot this year. He sort of went silent for a really long time, longer than he usually does. Sometimes he does tend to score in bunches, but man, he was just nowhere to be found. Then again, a lot of the LA Kings are nowhere to be found. But this week, he's managed two goals and two assists and a plus four rating, one power play assist and six shots on goal. And that's my week with one day of games remaining. I am winning 10 to three in the categories. So I'm feeling pretty good. Don't think I'll lose a whole lot in the last day of games. Fingers crossed. Elon, you are finished week one of your two week playoff. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm about one week into my playoff matchup, which is a multi-week matchup. And it's going okay so far. I'm actually tied, but it's one of those things where the categories that I'm winning in, I'm killing, and the categories where I'm losing or tied in, it's super close. So I'm feeling pretty good. Obviously, I have to send a thank you card to my standard awesome players. So Martin St. Louis has four goals in two games. Joe Pavelski got a hat trick in his first game back. Phil Kessel, two goals, two assists. You know, all the regular guys. I should mention Patrick Eliash has really been amazing since the Olympic break ended. In two games, he has one goal and four assists. And I think it's especially interesting with Eliash. He's not even 100% owned in ESPN. I guess he was 100%, then he got injured, and then when he came back, it didn't climb back up. And it's, you know, he's a bit jarring. When I look down my roster, I like to see all the hundreds. And I see Eliash at 95.4. I'm like, man, get back up to 100. Join your friends. But he definitely will get there soon if he keeps playing like he is. The Devils have been scoring a lot, so it's nice to have him there for the ride. My opponent, though, has a few players who are doing surprisingly well. Like Brian said, David DeHarnay has three assists in three games, which is surprising everyone. I guess Anze Kopitar doing well doesn't surprise anyone. He's got two goals and two assists in three games. And Troy Brower has a couple of goals since the Olympic break. My opponent really is, has a team of guys that, like, I don't even know how he made the playoffs, but all these sort of lunch palers are getting points for him. Shane Doan, two goals. Brad Marchand is finally starting to get his offense back. So it should be a fun matchup, but I'm confident that I'll, that I'll take it in the end. But how about you? You made a big trade this week. I did, and unfortunately, it was the only trade available to me. I sent out so many offers, emails, whatever. None of my own, you know, strategies that I had shared on the podcast worked. I don't know where everyone was or what's going on. I think maybe it has to do with the teams at the bottom are sort of not paying attention, although they should be because this is when they can get some better picks for next year's draft. Anyway, I ended up getting one counter offer from like the seven or eight that I sent out, all of which went ignored except for this one. I asked for Sergei Bobrovsky. I ended up getting a counter offer that included Steve Mason and Jason Pominville coming my way in exchange for Nicholas Backstrom, the goalie, and Tyler Toffoli, neither of whom I was that interested in keeping. You know, they're sort of at the bottom of the totem pole on my team. In exchange, I would be dropping from the fifth round to the ninth round. So maybe that's about 45 picks. And so I, I took it. I mean, I don't know. I I was nervous. I mean, I have Varlamov and Kemper and Harding, but I don't know if I can rely on them. I think usually, I mean, like I just said, Kemper's been kind of lights out lately, but between them, it just takes one injury or even week to week, it takes one bad start for my numbers to be blown up because the top teams all have at least one stud goaltender. And I don't have 
a proven one on my team. So Steve Mason is sort of like goaltender insurance for me. He's going to spend a lot of time on the bench. I'm only going to play him if any of my categories like are already lost. If my goals against average or save percentage are already finished, then I'll throw Steve Mason in because I do not trust him. In fact, there was a graph that I saw the other day shared by Eric T from Broad Street Hockey, and it showed Mason's save percentage by game. And just by looking at the graph, you can see how even Steve Mason has been as a goaltender. Since he signed his contract extension with the Flyers, he has not strung together like two games that have gone in the same direction, except for one or two occasions where he did. But most of the time, he's really having one good game, one bad game, one good game, one bad game. And that's not somebody that I'm excited to have on my team. So like I said, he will be sort of playing a really backup role, like only played when necessary. Uh, Jason Pominville, though, is nothing to sneeze at. I'm happy to get the offensive upgrade, although I already have one of the top offensive teams in the league. So I'm not too worried about that stuff. But hey, it's a good throw in to ease the sting of only getting Steve Mason when I was really I was fishing for Craig Anderson, Jimmy Howard, Antti Niemi, Jonathan Bernier. Got nothing back, though, but Steve Mason. So next, Brian, since I am on this podcast with you, and if you go back to episode one of Keeping Carlson, one of the main reasons we started this podcast, or at least one of the main reasons I started it, was so that I could ask you for fantasy advice. I want to ask you about a move I'm thinking of making, and I want to hear your thoughts. Okay, what is it? Okay, so I'm thinking potentially Martin Hansel is my current weakest player and i'm thinking of maybe dropping him and i want to get your thoughts on whether i should i'll tell you why i think he's not as great and i'll tell you who's available and then you'll give me your feedback okay so martin hansel has been having a pretty good season in 54 games he has 15 goals and 22 assists which gives him 37 points not bad except if you look at his last eight games he has only one goal and one assist so could just be a slump. He still is getting shots, so that's one thing that might be saying that he will pick it up and it's just bad luck. But also, if you look at his usage, he's gone down a bit. Since the Olympics, he hasn't played more than 20 minutes in a game, and he was getting that sometimes before. And Yesterday, he only played 16 minutes and 45 seconds. Plus, most concerning to me is that he's no longer on the first power play unit. So he only played 2 minutes and 26 seconds of power play time in his last game, as opposed to Antoine Vermette, who played over five minutes. And Vermette is one of the people that's currently a free agent in my league. He was just recently dropped. And I wonder if he's someone that I should take instead. Vermette is on a bit of a hot streak. In his last 12 games, he has eight goals and five assists, so 13 points in 12 games. Plus, he's getting better ice time. Like I said, he's playing on the first power play unit on Phoenix, and he's playing with Shane Doan and Michael Bodker, and that line is just doing really well lately. So, in a nutshell, what do you think about me dropping Hansel for Vermette? And then I'll maybe mention a couple of other guys who are available. In a nutshell, I think ice time is the only reason why you might do this. I think Hansel is the more proven offensive guy. I think Vermette has seen a little more luck while he's on the ice. His PDO is a little high because of mostly his on-ice save percentage, which means that his goalie, while he's on the ice, is stopping more shots than the average rate. And also keep in mind, like, yeah, he had a huge point streak, but that was his career high. And he's now been in the NHL for like 12 seasons. And I think we have a pretty good idea of who this guy is. Like, he's probably, you know, a 40 point scorer. And maybe he popped up and appeared to be somebody else for a little while. But in the long run, I wouldn't expect that sort of production to continue. It sort of came out of nowhere. Hmm. All right. Well, yeah, I guess the ice time thing 
really gets to me. But okay, I'll wait a little longer for Vermette. A couple other players who are available that are doing really well right now. So this might just be a PSA also to anyone listening. Check if these guys are on your free agent list. First, Adam Henrique on the New Jersey Devils is playing really well, at least since the Olympics have ended. So it's been two games. He's got one game with two goals and the other with one goal and one assist. Four shots on goal and five shots on goal to report for each of those games. Three power play points. So he's playing on a top line on New Jersey along with Patrick Eliash, who I mentioned is doing really well. So, Brian, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Adam Henrique. Do you think it's just a streak that's going to end, or is he potentially a good pickup for down the stretch? I think he could be a good pickup. He is playing, I guess, a more important role with New Jersey. And I think a lot of people had really high expectations, right? In his rookie season, he had 51 points in 74 games. And he followed that up with just 16 points in the lockout shortened 48 game season. Although he missed six of those games, he's sort of back on track right now. He's got 17 goals, 14 assists for 31 points in 61 games. And if the Devils score, then he'll, you know, he's got a good chance of being a part of it. But I think that's a big if. We know New Jersey's style of hockey. They're a defensive shell kind of team. And I don't know, I, I would be hesitant to rely on a devil for my offense. I don't know if that's any significant upgrade on relying on a coyote for my offense. But I'm going to bring up a player now that you brought up to me in an email that you haven't mentioned yet. And that's Derek Brissard. He's still available, right? Yeah, he was the next one I was going to mention. Yeah, so I'll I'll take care of that for you. He's on an eight-game point streak dating back to late January. And in that time, you know, he's doing well. He has five goals and five assists. He's also someone like Henrique, who started off strong, made a real big impression when he came into the league and then sort of faded, especially I think things weren't going well with the Blue Jackets. But now that he's in New York, he seems to be one of Vigneault's offensive guys. And when we think about Alain Vigneault as a coach, we remember in Vancouver, right? He'd really ride his offensive players hard. The Sedins had one role to play and one role only. And it looks like Broussard is getting, well, I mean, not Sedine treatment, but he is seeing 60% of his own starts happening in the attacking zone. That's a positive. His PDO is also a little low, too, and that's because both his on-ice shooting percentage and his on-ice save percentage are a little down below the league average. Which is a good thing for him. Right, and that signals a good thing. That signals that he's been a little unlucky. And, you know, if you look at the whole season as a whole, he's about on par with Martin Hansel in terms of points scored. Maybe Hansel was doing it in a more reliable or noticeable way at one point in the season. Broussard is someone who's kind of flown under my radar this season. I think I've been burned by him in the past, and I'm sure I'm not alone. But I think if I had to choose one of the players that you mentioned to me, I think if I had to take a risk, I would try and pick up Derek Broussard. Looks like I have to uh, make a decision then. It's really interesting, actually, that we're talking about Broussard doing well, because in the last episode, we were saying that maybe he would take a hit with Mats Zuccarello being injured. They had a really hot line going along with Benoit Pouliot. But since Zuccarello went down, Broussard's still playing with Pouliot, and replacing Zuccarello is JT Miller, and seems like they haven't lost a step. Yeah, hard to say still, right? Only two games out of the break. But in the limited sample that we have to work on for this episode, I'd say it's promising for him. All right. Well, thanks for all the tips. And yeah, for anyone listening, if Broussard's available, Henrique, Vermette, maybe. I guess Brian's not as high on him. But yeah, a lot of interesting players that might still be available in your leagues that you can grab to help you down the stretch. 
So let's sort of get into the tail end of the show, and we always like to have a few players of note that Brian has noticed and wants to tell you all about. So Brian, take it away. Sure. Well, we've all been keeping a close eye on the Islanders, right? As Tavares is out, we have Vanek and Akposo. We don't know what kind of players they'll be without him. And we also don't know, like, if they do continue to be good players, will whoever gets dropped into that center spot benefit? So after two games... Uh, I don't know. We, we we don't really have an answer, but here's what we do know. They have parachuted Brock Nelson, Ryan Stroman, Josh Bailey. All of them has seen time on the top line between Vonick and Ocposo. And yeah, not a whole lot has happened with either one. The Isles scored five goals in their first game back, but none of them came from the top line. And then they scored one goal in the next game, and that did come from the top line with Josh Bailey centering. But I don't know, I, I wouldn't feel great about that if I owned either of these guys. Both Ocposo and Vanek have been seriously outpossessed in their two games without Tavares. And yeah, sure, they had their struggles when they were with him too. And it's a small sample size. But any of their owners who have counted on them to date should really be keeping this in the back of their mind and keep a close eye on whether or not it continues, Especially if your trade deadline is still coming up, it might be wise to see what you can flip them for at this point. And then I guess you're also saying that you don't think it's worth it to try to take whoever will end up becoming their centerman? I think if I were to try one centerman, it would be Brock Nelson because he spent the most time with them. You know, give them three, four, five games to work things out and see what happens if it clicks. That might be preferable if you are stuck with Ocposo and Orvanek. Try and get the line mate. Because really, at this point in the year, I doubt there are really a whole lot of attractive options with a lot of upside on your free agent wire. Another player to keep in mind if your trade deadline has yet to pass, and even if it has, because you need to know if he's on your roster, Sean Monahan. He's just scored two goals against Edmonton, and yeah, it all looks very impressive. The rookie has 18 goals and eight assists in 56 games this season. This has been good for his owners. You know, he's sort of like a, a sexy pick. Uh, but if you own him, I think you would be very well served to try and send him in a package for another guy who has 18 goals or even 15 goals. You know, Monaghan was not supposed to stick in the NHL this year, and he shouldn't have, as clever hockey observers over at Flames Nation and the Oilers blog Copper in Blue have noted. I would trade him for anyone that you can with even, like, reasonable value. And I'll tell you why. There are plenty of reasons. The first one being he's a one-category guy. He only scores goals. He's averaging fewer than two shots on goal a game. He's got a plus-minus rating of minus 12. He has just four power play points, is making no significant contribution in penalty minutes, hits, or blocks. He has only two assists in his last 32 games. He also has poor possession numbers. And yeah, a lot of Flames have poor possession numbers because they're a bad team. But he's actually worse than his average Calgary teammate. And of course, his shooting percentage is out of whack, especially for a rookie. Of all players who have played, you know, about half of their team's games this year, say about 30 games, he's in the top 10 for individual shooting percentage. And that's not a good thing. That doesn't mean he's just really efficient with the shots he takes. It just means he's lucky. Other noted scorers in the top 10 are Colorado's Patrick Bordalo. In Vancouver's Tom Sestito, this is the company that Sean Monaghan is keeping. So his luck is going to run out one of these days. And even if it doesn't, he's still not offering you a whole lot other than the occasional goal anyway. So I think it's better to use that roster spot more wisely. Or if you can find someone to trade him to, make an offer. Yeah, I think we've already mentioned him as a snoozer earlier in the season. 
And so now he's picking it up a little, like you said, with a good game yesterday. But I like your advice here. Try to find someone who doesn't realize that the underlying stats say that he's just being lucky. Yeah. And one other guy whose underlying stats aren't even that bad, uh, but he's really taking a downturn is Jacob Silverberg. At the beginning of the year, he was a really hot pickup, right? Everyone was excited. He was traded for Bobby Ryan. He was seeing really good minutes and really good opportunities right away. And then he got injured. And in his last 20 games, he has just seven points and he's seeing only 11 or 12 minutes a night, which is a decrease from earlier in the year when he was producing something to note if you are a Silverberg owner. It should be noted, though, that he hasn't played since the Olympic break. He was down with a bit of an injury, but it looks like he's going to be coming back soon. So it might be useful to see where he slots in now that there's been this long break before you make any big decisions about Silverberg one way or the other. For sure. And this week, Elon, you know, there's fewer and fewer snoozers at this time of year, right? Anyone who's snoozing is usually on a team who's at the bottom, and maybe it's because they've neglected their team. So now I'm talking to the people who are contending, who are on the bubble for a playoff spot and really have a chance, and they just need that extra push. They need someone to put them over. So I'm going to start recommending a jobber, and that's someone who's just going to put you over. He's not going to carry you to the end of the season. He's not going to make any significant impact, but he might just get that one extra point or that one extra number in the category that you need to put you over the top and get you through to the next week. And so the first jobber in keeping Carlson fantasy history is Carl Soderberg of the Boston Bruins. He's only 4% owned in Yahoo leagues right now. And even lower in ESPN, only one6 yeah, so this is your chance. He's got eight points in his last nine games played, three goals, five assists, plus two, 15 shots on goal, two power play assists in that span. And this has been the longest sustained production from him all season. He's gone on a couple streaks of two or three games. He tends to drop off after that. But this time he seems to maybe be keeping it up again with the Olympic break. It's hard to say, but this is what we're going with. Uh, he is playing on the third line and the second power play unit, seeing time alongside Chris Kelly and Louis Erickson. But the interesting thing here is that the third line for the Bruins does not seem to be a checking line. It looks like Claude Julien is actually using the second line of Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and Riley Smith in a defensive checking role. Last game, they saw a lot of defensive zone starts, and Soderbergh's line, along with Kelly and Erickson, actually saw the most offensive zone starts. Now, that wasn't the case for the game before, but they also were not being relegated to a defensive role. So I don't think I'd put too much stock into what line somebody on the Bruins is on, especially if you look at the Bergeron line. It's not totally surprising to see that they are the ones who are given the defensive responsibility of taking face-offs in their own zone. All that said, don't let Soderbergh's apparent line status fool you into thinking he's not in a relevant position right now with the Boston Bruins. Also, maybe this is just me hoping if Louis Erickson happens to get going, he's going to be the beneficiary. All right. Well, it'll be great to hear from our listeners and see if anyone picks up Soderberg and then uses him to clinch those last couple categories at the end of a matchup. And that's going to do it for our show. So speaking of listeners letting us know things, we have a Twitter account. You could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. You could also follow us. Brian's tweeting up a storm about everything going on in fantasy hockey. It's a really fun Twitter account to follow. And if you ask us questions about your teams, we're happy to answer them and give you advice. 
Also, for sure, we'd love to get emails from you if you have any critiques of the podcast, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. And I'll also mention we have a website, keepingcarlson.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast, see any show notes. We're going to have a couple of links that we put up for this episode. With that, we've come to the end of another episode. So, Brian, roll the credits for us as we play off with the classic outro music. Thank you to our beloved resources, Extra Skater, Left Wing Lock, Behind the Net, Dauber Hockey, Yahoo Sports Fantasy Hockey, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Thanks, Brian. Good luck staying in first place in your pool, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Elon. Good luck, everybody. Bye.